Good evening, lovelies. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, Candy, and Creatives, the Sunday Cinema Show. CCC is a Be Unique Radio featured program. My creative tonight is author, producer, director, filmmaker, creative genius, and professor Bill Richardson. Bill is with me tonight to talk about his current books, Hellfighters, and More Than Evil. Bill has produced feature films, documentaries, commercials, and an episodic series for the History Channel. He's appeared on numerous national TV shows, including CBS This Morning, American Pickers, Mystery at the Museum, and Discovery Network's Blood Feuds. His films are used as teaching tools at such prestigious universities as UC Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, and Marquette. They're also part of the U.S. Library of Congress holdings. Bill has done a lot. You can find Bill's books on Amazon.com or you can go to BillRichardson.com. That's Bill with one L, B-I-L, Richardson.com. This episode of Coffee, Candy, and Creatives is brought to you by ThoroughClean. Serving the Central Florida area for more than 30 years, ThoroughClean is the place to get your carpet, tile, and furniture clean, as well as any of your sanitizing needs. In Central Florida, give ThoroughClean a call at 321-729-8198. That's 321-729-8198. Now, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. Cuddle up with your host pup and enjoy the show. I am here with Bill Richardson, author, everything. You've got so much going on in your bio. Fill everybody in just really quick on your background and then we'll get to talking about your new book, which is really, really good and creepy and I love it. Uh, So I uh, was a filmmaker for many, many years, worked on feature films, did TV, um, I've also uh, world-class historian, mostly around the Hatfield-McCoy feud, and I've been on American Pickers and just about everything oh. you can imagine, Discovery Channel, uh, lots of lots of different shows, been quoted in hundreds of newspapers like New York Times, and uh, done a lot of those kind of things, travel the world. Uh, my first love has always been storytelling. I've done it in a number of different ways. I've got work that's in the uh, the National Archives. I've got work that's that's been supported by the uh, National Endowment for the Arts. So I've done a, a number of different things. I've, I've done a lot of different creative activities, but the thing that's always been my first love and the thing that I'm really focused on now is, is prose, is, is writing novels. Right. You've been doing this for a bit, obviously. And I love that you said American Pickers because it's kind of like that I wouldn't have expected you to have said that because it seems like you've done just a, a little bit of everything. You have lived life fully. I, I have been so fortunate to do so many things. I have crawled through the pyramids in Egypt. I have been to Stonehenge. I wow. have, uh, I've had, I played cards with Darth Vader, uh, did- James, Earl jo- James Earl Jones. We, we, we were on a set of a film set for a while together and uh, played cards and hang, hung out. Um, I've gotten to meet a, a few famous people and um, just I, I, one of the, 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 the best and worst things about me and my life is that I have a very active mind. I'm easily bored. Uh, I need a lot of different things going on. I don't always write the same kind of story. I don't always enjoy the same kind of work. Um, I, I like humor and horror and science fiction and uh, you know, love stories and, and historical stories. And I, I just have so many different kinds of interests. Uh, for instance, my, my, the, the two books that we'll talk about tonight, uh, I did the cover art for both of those. 
And so I'm a visual artist and, and just do a lot of things. And the, the good about that is that, you know, when you're a little tired of, of writing, you can go over and do something uh, visual and it's different muscles. And so it doesn't seem tiring. Mm -hmm. On the other side, you've just got so many things pulling at you and so many interests. Uh, I've been doing a bunch of things with sound lately and audio, and uh, that takes me away from writing. And so it's just, um, you know, you've got all those different kinds of interests and, and, and different tools that, that, you know, you can bring to bear. So it's sort of both a blessing and a curse. Right. Well, the book, um, one of the books we're going to talk about tonight is called Hellfighters. From probably page one, I was interested. I was vested. Okay, so Hellfighters, uh, it's about this professor that by necessity take, takes a job in a small town. And already we're going, oh, small town. We know what happens in small towns, right? <laughs> we know. We've read the book. And... He wants to get out and about. He hears a little bit of a urban legend or a, a local tall tale. And um, it goes on from there. And I wanted to like touch on, if I can touch on things without spoiling things. Um, Heller and his friend, hey, we can leave it like that because he has a few friends. And his friend encountered this thing in the woods that reminded me a lot of do you remember uh, Lissy's story by King? Uh, one of my favorite King books. You remember how King described the the thing in, um, that was like behind the bushes. And I don't know if, if this is how you pronounce it, but piebald or piebald. Mm -hmm. When you were describing the thing, it brought to mind that level of creepiness for me because it's like you can only partially see it and I think there's something so incredibly frightening about things that you cannot fully see because your imagination can fill in all the bits. If you were in the actual situation, reading it, your imagination 5,000% fills in the bits, right? And exactly. that's for you who has worked in film and has worked uh, with books, there's definitely a difference in, and everybody has argued this, of book versus film. Because we, with our beautiful computer brains, we add so much to the words that we're reading. We make it that much more romantic or scary or weird, right? That doesn't always translate well to film because now you have someone that's writing a film and acting in a film and creating settings and all this stuff that are supposed to match what people imagined when they read. Now, I wanted to ask you about the second one. The second book, you did it in print and audio, right? Right. So do you feel like maybe an audio book somewhat bridges the gap between book and film? Well, let me, let me speak first to what you were talking about earlier, because there's not a lot of people who've both made films and written books and, and right. done those, both those creative things. And they are two completely different mediums. Uh, and the thing about books that, it, that I think is so amazing is that the difference between a book and a film is that the film gives you everything and you absorb it. In a book, the reader is half of the story. The reader brings their imagination, their past, their way of looking at things, the other things that they've read to the story. And so every time a person reads a book, they have a completely different experience than the other people that read that book. 
And so that's the thing that makes prose so amazing is that theater of the mind thing. And the fact that it's half what I write and half what you as a reader bring to it. That's the thing that's, that, that, it, that separates those two genres. And as somebody who's worked professionally in both, I think that, that prose is really the higher level. You have a deeper experience and a more moving experience. You know, there are a few people that can tell you about a movie that changed their life, but there are a lot of people who can tell you about a book that changed their life. Right. And so I, I think those, those are two great mediums and they bring different things to, 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 the, to the fore, but um, prose is just, a, is, is, it is just a richer experience. Right. Uh, as to the audiobook, an audiobook does in a way bridge that gap. Uh, the way that I did it, the, the, the more than evil audiobook that I did, it has a full soundscape. And so it does a lot of the things that you normally um, uh, don't get in, in an audiobook. It brings so much of the, uh, of the emotion in there with the music and also with the sound effects. And horror is particularly good for that, that sort of rich sound design, but they don't, you don't see it very often with horror unless it's an old, you know, like a Poe book. Uh, because it's so expensive to do. Right. And um, in, in this particular case, the reason that I, I did the big rich sound design on, on More Than Evil was that I wanted it to be a different work than the, the novel. I thought if you read the novel, you'll have one experience. But if you listen to the audiobook, you'll have a completely different experience. And I like that idea as a creator for, for those to be two different things instead of just somebody reading you the book. And I think that's, what you were saying, the theater of the mind and the, the fact that a reader brings their own personal experiences to the table, so to speak, is why you'll get two people that read the same book and one loves it and one hates it. But then Absolutely. again, they film a film and both love it because there's an expectation of this is what we're seeing. This is what's happening. We're not, you know, unless you're like us where we think more about it, you know, um, it's like, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened to the end, okay. We might have a discussion about like, well, what do you think the red dress was about, right? Yeah. Or, but with a book, it's like, no, 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 you don't understand the red dress meant, and the other person is like, it was just a dress because they don't have that reaction or thought process to it. I, I had a woman who was a, uh, an advanced reader on, on one of my books and it's the, the more than evil book. And the character, uh, uh, one of the things that happens in that book is that the main character, basically, he, he steals, for all intents and purposes, the wife of his best friend. Mm. And the, 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 the real challenge as a writer in the book is to still make that main character empathetic. Well, this particular woman had obviously had, you know, some of those kind of things in her background, and she could never like the main character because of that, that sort of adultery aspect. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's what happens. You bring that your experiences into that. And uh, for her, that was a blind spot and she could never get past that. And that's completely valid. That's completely valid that, that people would feel that way and, and bring those different sort of emotions uh, uh, to the work. So yeah, going back to what you were talking about, the having different experiences that affect how you view, like you're right. Like if your husband cheated on you with a stripper and you go to a, you read a book that's, you know, the stripper's a main character, you're going to be like, I freaking hate this book. Exactly. And, uh, so it is funny. So take me into, take me into the process. Audiobooks 
some people love them. Some people hate them. I feel like there's no middle ground on it. I think, I don't know. I tried to do audiobooks and I can't pay attention. Do you think it's, do you think it's something that has, you have to be a certain type of mindset to be able to get into them? No, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of concentration that goes along with prose. Uh, you know, you're there, you have to devote yourself to the book and there are distractions. But one, one of the things in the, in the, in the current world, you, you tend to be double tasking all the time. And audio, whenever you're listening to an audio book, most of the time you're doing something else at the same time. And so it's really difficult to really give it that focus unless it just gets to a part that, that you know, really just grabs you at that second. But you're always double tasking. You're right, you know, you're driving, you know, you're uh, doing something at the house, you're cleaning the house, whatever it is. So, you know, it, almost invariably you're doing something else when you're listening to an audio book. Um, and, and, you know, that, 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 that divided consciousness is, is, is an issue with them. Mm -hmm. um, they, um, you know, it is a different experience. And, uh, I, and, and there are books that I've done, listened to both the audiobook and read the prose book. And you, you feel a different way about it. You, you, there are certain things that you read that, that capture you in a different way than the ones that, that you know, you hear in, in spoken word. But it is a preference thing. And, and I've had people who don't really like, who like a, just a narrator reading. And I've had people who um, like the, the, the sort of layered process that I did and, and vice versa, people who didn't like those things. So, uh, you know, it's a personal preference and people have to find what works for them. And what you're doing as a, as a creator and uh, is, is trying to get to people where they live, get to them in as many different ways as you can uh, there are a lot of people who don't have the time to, to sit down with a book. And so what you're trying to do is to give them as many ways to access your work as, as possible and, um, and sort of get them where, where they live. With the audio book, is it you? Is it your voice? Uh, no, it's, it's a gentleman named Sky Soleil. He's a, an actor out in L.A. And uh, I, I looked a very long time to try to find a voice that I liked. Most of the, of the audio book uh, narrators that you hear, they either do a lot of character voices or they uh, do that sort of, you know, that, that basso voice that you hear in thrillers all the time. Yes. And now he goes. And, and I wanted something that was more rural because that book is set in uh, what I call deepest, darkest Appalachia. It's set in my home where I, where I grew up. And so I wanted somebody who could bring more of that sort of rural edge to the voice. And uh, Sky did a tremendous job with that. He, you know, you can't go too far with that because it sounds fake, but he, he did a really good job of, of bringing the right character to that voice. And uh, he, did, he did an amazing job on that book. You, you couldn't get James Earl Jones to do it? Uh, you know, James, uh, he, he costs a lot more. He costs <laughs> a lot more. I, I imagine so. So you grew up in, in Appala Appalachia? Yeah, yeah, Is I did. I, I grew up. Uh, I grew up actually where the Hatfields and the McCoys happened, and, and it's on the border between West Virginia and Kentucky, and it's a very, very rural area. Uh, the county that I grew up in was one of the 50 poorest counties in America, and it was bordered by the 12th and 8th poorest counties in America. It's very um, isolated. Uh, the mountains are, there's very, very little flat land. The mountains are really close in. There's places where there's, you know, 200 feet of flat land between the mountains. And on that 200 feet, there's a, there's a river, there's a set of railroad tracks, there's a road, and then there's a little strip of houses. So it's a very sort of insulated pressure cooker sort of, a, of, a, of an atmosphere. 
It's also very beautiful and very striking. And uh, it's the perfect setting for something where you want people to, to be, you know, both isolated and in a very, very rich environment. And, and so it's, it's an area that I go back to quite a bit. I have not listened to, I have not read more than evil. I am working on Hellfighters. If you'd like, give everybody a little synopsis of it. Well, uh, uh, of, of Hellfighters or, or more than evil? More than evil. Okay, more than evil is uh, it's a book that's set in, as I said, in, in deepest, darkest Appalachia. And it's about this group of coal miners are miles back underground and they release this entity that's been buried in the earth for millennia. And it begins to spread through their town. And the only person who's in a position to stop this is, uh, is the local sheriff, a guy named Harlan. And Harlan is trying to keep, uh, the, the, the way that the evil spreads is it spreads from one person to the next and sort of begins to move geometrically. Um, and it's not zombies, but it sort of spreads that way. And the, um, this one character, he's trying to save his family and his town and eventually the, the, the world from this, this spreading evil. And, uh, and it's really action-packed. All the work that I do has a lot of pace to it. It's, it's very, very fast-paced. And um, the evil spreads quickly. It's basically these unkillable, these unkillable monsters. And um, it's, it's one of those things that rock and rolls and hopefully will keep you up at night, both reading and, and being a little scared too. Right. Sleeping with the lights on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it is, that is, um, you said the coal miners, things that are like deep underground or deep in the sea, there's just the potential for like monsters. There's always the potential that something is buried or hidden. And again, that brings that creep factor because you can't really see it until it's out and in your face. And it's like killing me. Apple, and I'm sorry, is it Appalachia or Appalachia? Uh, it depends, but if you're from uh, if you're from Appalachia, it's Appalachia. Okay. Well, I know there's a lot of um, I don't know if the word superstition or not, but they talk about they have a lot of legends, right? The skinwalkers and things like that. So it it sounds like uh, geographically or you know um, just by nature, it lends itself very easily to a horror story or a you know a thriller to suspend well, you know uh the thing is is that most people who've not been to Appalachia have only heard bad things about it you know there's the redneck things and poverty and all these negative things and uh the people there of course are just like everybody else but the fact that you know you what you've heard have been these things that are, make you sort of uncomfortable makes it a place that uh you begin to work with that you start with that palette and then you do other things. You're already a little bit leery or worried about the place, but also the isolation of the particular part of Appalachia that I'm from is, is, is very, very interesting. And um, uh, it's, it's historically not been very open to outsiders. Uh, the, the geography of the area actually has uh, formed every aspect, economically, the culture, even the DNA because for most of the, the history of that area, you marry somebody that lived within 20 miles of you. And so it, it is a very interesting area that most people don't know a lot about. They only have sort of these stereotypical things. And so what I get to do is to tell you some new things and, um, and sort of, like you said, I've got that little curtain that I open up a little bit of time 
and 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 get to reveal these things in a place that most people you know have not got to experience right well i mean authors put forth stories and ideas in their books like if you go to maine you think you know you're going to check the sewers you're going to careful you go to certain towns in california dean Koontz has made you think that there's golden retrievers that can talk to you everywhere you know yeah so i think it's a sign of a, a very you know talented author that if i go to your hometown or the area i'm gonna be like a little hesitant and be like that person looks a little off maybe they're possessed by an entity right just to give you the little heebie-jeebies a little bit the only thing I really know about your area is, like I said, what I've heard about, like, skinwalkers and things like that. And also, wasn't there, like, a family that somehow had blue skin? Do you remember uh, hearing that? Uh, there, is, there is a blue skin family. Uh, uh, I can't remember if that's in Appalachia or not. Uh, but it was, it was a... Uh, it was a genetic thing that that, that, yeah. that people's skin was a little, little bit blue. It was yeah. beautiful. We're not we're yeah. not hating on them at all. I thought no. it was beautiful. I thought their skin was beautiful. Blue is my favorite color. But it's just you know you're right. Like towns, you only hear either unless it's like you know something a town that like Paris or you know London or. But for I think for these American towns, you know, it's like this is what they get known for, but that's maybe a misconception or that's not the whole entire story. And I think you guys that write, what do you call it? What do you call that? You're a um, place-based writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're bringing attention and you're bringing positive attention. Even if it's a horror novel, you're still bringing more information to the table that the reader or the listener didn't have before. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of the atmosphere, one of the things you're trying to do is create atmosphere and place is a big part of your atmosphere. Uh, more than evil set in Appalachia. Hellfighters is set in, in a very rural part of Massachusetts, and a lot of it happens out in the woods. And I hope mm. that after you read that book, you don't want to go out in the woods for a while. Uh, but but you know, part of what you're trying to do is create atmosphere, especially in horror. And the place has a lot to do with that. And so it's one of the tools that you know, is when you're painting that picture for the audience, that that place becomes a very very important part of setting mood. Right. There was a thing on Twitter that said, uh, tell me where you're from without telling me where you're from or tell me where you were born or you grew up or whatever without telling me. And I had to think about it. So I was like, um, Atlantis, Discovery, Sharks, Theaters. And that's supposed to be, you know, the Space Coast. That's supposed to be, you know, uh, Cocoa Beach or, you know. And I was like, that's it made me think because it's like if you had to describe where you're from in a positive way and in a way that people would go oh okay I have a basic idea of where that is it you know it was a challenge it's like some people could say big sign with letters in Hollywood or, and for you you could say mountains um, coal mines and they could pinpoint it a little bit but uh, I do know I think basically the area uh, you're talking about because a friend of mine went to the I want to say Hatfield McCoy dinner experience or something right. like that, but that's the extent of my knowledge, people. That's it. Well, <laughs> that's well that it. actually happens in Tennessee. That's that's uh, pre- oh, people Tennessee. appropriating Appalachian culture <gasps> for a profit, which is something that has happened through, throughout its its history. 
but that's oh no okay so how do you how does a boy from Appalachia become involved in the movie business I mean did you hot-footed out to LA or New York you know I I I didn't uh I probably should have earlier uh but what happened was is there was a film called uh mate one that came in into my area and Mm -hmm. mate one is a town in the county that I live in so it was about events that happened in that town and I went and worked on that set and there were 44 shooting days and I worked 20 of them and I was basically an extra and so what an extra does is on a film set most of the day you sit around doing nothing waiting for the the cameras to get ready to roll and so Mm -hmm. i used that time to to observe and learn what they were doing and i realized that it was something that i could do and after that film i got together with a group of guys that were going out uh to arizona to shoot a a documentary and i realized on the way out that they had no clue what they were doing Mm -hmm. and so as we were traveling this 40-hour trip i wrote the script i did research on this topic I wrote the script, uh, I set up all the interviews, and when we got there, I basically ran the shoot. And, and those two experiences you know, told me that I could do this work. And very shortly after that, I, I worked on my first feature film as an assistant director. Wow, and what year was that? Uh, a long, long time ago in a far, far away place. <laughs> oh, was it a galaxy? <laughs> Away. It, it wasn't a different galaxy, but it was so long ago, I probably shouldn't talk about it. Okay, no worries. Do you have a favorite between, would you, can you choose between documentaries or feature films, or do you love them equally? Are they like both your favorite children? Uh, you know, I, it, it depends on what your, 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 what your goals are, what, what you're coming to them wanting. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if you want entertainment, you know you're 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 going to be going feature film. If you're wanting information, documentary. And documentary films have gotten so much richer in the in the last several years, uh, in the last decade or so. I probably am going to go pros because or, or, or go film because I'm just I'm a story junkie. I just love mm-hmm. story, and um, and there's so you know. We are living in the golden, golden age of, of film. There's so many things that you can do with, in, in film these days that you could never do before. Um, I, I was, uh, the very, very early films like uh, uh, Rocket to the Moon and, and those, some of the, those George Milieu films, uh, I, I was looking, I've been watching those recently, and the, the things that they did, the technology that they used to create the, the effects and things, stayed the same for a hundred years. And then we got all the CG stuff and started doing things in a different way. And the and I still think we haven't even tapped the, the, the possibilities of, right. of CG and those kind of things. Right, and it's so funny to think, there's nothing against practical effects because I am a huge fan of the practical effects, but you couldn't have made the Avengers films. No. So- practical effects you couldn't do it I don't I can't remember what year it was 1980 something clash of the titans to my little kid brain watching that it was magic and to my adult brain still kind of magic and and that technology that Ray Harryhausen technology from from those films is uh is something that you know had been around for a while and then that the 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 other class signs that you're talking about the 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 remake that was all digital 
it's, you know, they're completely different films, but they're both effective in their way, even today. Right. But I would prefer the 1980s version, honestly. I want that claymation scorpion or, or whatever it was. Right. You know? And that was that was exactly the technology in the, the King Kong, the first, you know, film yeah. utilizing those in 1919 or something. I can't remember, 21, yeah. one of those. Um, and so that technology uh, was around for a long time. It still was very effective. But, but one of the reasons that those things, because I'm working on a project right now that I'm wondering if people are going to really buy it or not. And it's, it's a visual project. And one of the things that happens is the audience wants it to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that willing suspension of disbelief. People want to be entertained. They want it to work. And, uh, and if, if, you, if you can just give them a chance to enjoy it uh, and, and not, you know, do too bad a job, they're going to go a long way with you. Mm-hmm. To quote Fox Mulder, I want to believe. Yeah, exactly. I saw Jurassic Park when it first came out in the movie theater. And it made such an impression on me that walking out to the car from the theater, I was, because it was so believable. And even now, I watched it a couple weeks ago, the original. And I was like, yep, still holds up. And it's what, 20 years old? More, more than that now, I think. Um, the thing is, is, is a, it is an effective film. You know, you can go back and watch films from the 20s, which I've been doing a little bit of lately. And you'll find yourself, even though they're clunky and, and all this stuff, you still get immersed in them. Uh, good filmmaking and good storytelling uh, is good, even if it is from a different era and uses different tools. Um, you know, you, you can look, you know, you, you go back and watch Dracula um, and all this stuff, but still that atmosphere is there, you know? and you, 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 you still feel that seeping into you, even though that's a film that's you know nearly 100 years old. Yeah, like Nosferatu or one of the creepiest films I've ever seen, and I couldn't tell you what year it came out, was Freaks. And I know it's not politically oh. correct. It's terrifying. It is, it is terrifying. And it's the, the other, it's the otherness <laughs> that, that makes that. And the, and the fact that the film, that film almost feels like a doc. You know, it, it feels very real the way that that film is shot. And uh, as, a, as a viewer, you don't, you don't think about these things, but when you're, you work in those industries, you, you know what those tools are, but uh, it, because it's shot almost like it's a documentary, your mind processes that this is real and those are real people. It feels the, the empathy that you have for those characters is so much deeper because you know they're real and it's presented to you in a way that feels like it's, you're just there in the room with them. Right. The authenticity, the fact that they are real people with um i don't want to use disability conditions deformities they're deformities like it's happening right in front of you you're going oh my god these people are about to kill this dude and oh the guy coming crawling out from under the oh it's too much (laughs) it's too much and And, and that that film when it was created it was to you know make you uncomfortable because of the, the 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 maladies that these people have and in today's audience, you, you, there's still some of that, but also I watch that film today and I think about the reality of those people's lives, what they had to cope with. Um, and this is sort of a whole nother level of horror in that when you think about the lives that those people had to live because of the deformities and the maladies that they had. Right, the atrocities and the abuses that happened to them because of who they were 
it truly happened in, in real life to them, the way they were uh, misused, they weren't paid enough, they were put on display, they were forced to act like animals. If we're going to talk about like uh, Jojo, the, the dog boy, the horrible treatments that they, they were uh, subject to. And they and were they, human beings. Exactly, exactly. And it, I mean, gosh, this could, this could open up a whole deep conversation, but maybe we'll save it for the next time. And it brings to mind, like nowadays with political correctness, which is great, but also I, t- I asked this of somebody else. I was like, does it devalue the work that they did? I mean, they're not here anymore, so they probably don't care. But would it to be like, oh, this is this film is wrong. If they got paid for their work in the film, I think they'd be fine with it. But with political correctness, you want to be like, oh, you're making fun of the disabled or you're making fun of differences. But does it devalue the work that, that they put into the film? I think you have to look at things for their time because you know for instance lovecraft you know hellfighters is a book based on some of the lovecraft mythology you know he was a person that had prejudices and uh he was a person of his time there was a lot of people who had prejudices in 1920 uh and and if we took every single creative person that had something about them that was weird or quirky or offensive or not you know socially acceptable today we would just eliminate so many people you know Salvador Dali was a was a weirdo uh Picasso was a womanizer I mean you know if you if you get rid of every single person that had something about them uh that wasn't you know perfect or completely acceptable uh so much of the of our history uh would we you know we would not have I mean JFK you know screwed around with everybody you know you you know a president today can't really get away with that but do you? But but can you separate the person from their faults? Um, you know, Churchill was a very flawed man. I mean, a lot of people that were great people in history had very very glaring flaws, and that's what makes them human beings. And 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 so my personal feeling is that I try to separate the human being from the from the work that they did, and 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 try to appreciate the one and understand the failings and the foibles of, of them as human beings. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, this is like an, a whole nother conversation. For instance, um, I was talking with a friend about JK Rowling and my friend is trans and she was like, I can't even watch the Harry Potter movies anymore. And I was like, well, wait, wait, let's have a discussion about this because yes, the things that the author has said bad, but are we going to devalue Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Emma Watson, Rupert, da, 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 everybody that was involved with it because of this one person's thing. So you're absolutely right. How do we separate the work from the person? I guess we just have to take it on a case by case, how much we can tolerate maybe. Well, and also, you know, it's possible that the JK Rowling will come around to those things. Uh, you know, you think about, if you look at the way society viewed uh, gay people just 10 years ago, it's revolutionarily different. Um, and, and, and so people do come around people, you know, you, and and a lot of that particular thing is people had more gay people in their family that came out. And so they realized that they knew people who were gay. And, and so, um, what happens with, with a lot of those differences, our, our brains, the human brain is wired in such a way that we have an us and them mentality. It's, it's sort of a tribe against tribe. And the way that we survived early on 
this is my professor coming out, I'm sorry, is that we needed to have an us who was together and joined together and, and stronger. And, and a lot of the ways that, ways that we made that happen was to have a them, a threat out there of some kind. And so that's sort of hardwired into our mind that, that differences are bad and that my group needs to be homogenous and have its own thing. And, and the, the, the thing that makes human beings different than every other creature that we know of is that we're able to use our mind to get past those emotional things. And I, I think what happens is, is that as people become more familiar with something that's new and more educated about something that's new and actually interact with other people who are human beings, it's once you relate, relate to a person as another human being, not as a group or a type or a thing, then it becomes very hard to have those same barriers. Um, and, and I think that's what's happened in society and, and it will continue to happen and evolve. And, and a lot of people who may have, have felt this, you know, have these, these visceral emotional reactions to certain sets of people, that, that, will, that they will grow out of that. I, 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 th I think that you'll see that happen. I think so too, or at least I hope so. And I think that hand in hand with that is people that hate, for lack of a better word, the person for the things that they said also can allow that the person has changed because that's a problem as well, right? A a absolutely. I mean, if somebody has been a threat to you, uh, you know, you, you have that visceral reaction to them, just like the individual that you talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, but a, a, the thing that I find, and, and, and I've traveled to so many countries and seen so many different societies, that we are so much more alike than we are different. We, we, you, you know, uh, people, you know, they want to, you know, have a good life. They want to raise their children. They want to be safe. They want to be able to, to, you know, fulfill their, uh, their hopes and dreams. People are so much more alike than they are different. And when you get to that, you know, 10,000 foot view, color of skin is irrelevant. Sexuality is irrelevant. They're human beings trying to get through life and cope with the situations that they have. And um, when you when you begin to look at it in that way, it, it becomes a lot easier to be to be more open minded to, to things that you might not have been before. So maybe we're just too close to the situation to to see it properly. Uh, some well, sometimes I think what it is we're not close enough. We don't you know, if you if you meet a person who is trans and actually hang out with them a while and speak with them you know, and, and see them as another human being, then those are the things that I think began to change the way people feel and, and, and look at things. Um, right. and, and, you know, there are always going to be people who are never comfortable with those things. Um, but the only way you break down those barriers is to begin to see another person as a human being. Mm -hmm. And to find things in common, like reading, hmm. like movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and realize that we're in a very small boat together. You know, we think of the earth as being really big, but we still, with all the tools that we have, have not found another civilization. Right. And if you think of the vast, vast, vastness of space, uh, we are in a very small boat together. And just like what's going on in Ukraine right now, we have got to figure out a way to be able to get along with each other or Absolutely. we're going to sink this boat. Absolutely. And it's a tiny boat. It's, it's like a canoe in the ocean. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I believe in God. And one of the reasons that I believe in God is that the number of things that had to go right for there to be um, life on earth and even intelligent life on earth is incalculable. If, if the moon wasn't exactly where it is and the size that it is, the earth would, would, would drift on its axis so many times and so frequently that you would never be able to have higher level uh, life forms evolve. Think about how many planets that might be like Earth and have a moon nearby to keep them stable. There's so many things. Uh, the difference between winter and summer is just a little bit of a difference in the distance from the sun and the tilting on the axis. And think about you know, the, the, you know, going to one of the poles versus going to the equator. That's just a very, very small amount of difference on our planet. If our planet was just a few thousand miles further or closer to the sun, we wouldn't have any of those things. We wouldn't have life. And so we are such a very special thing mm -hmm. as human beings that we need to cherish each other regardless of what those different. Absolutely. However we came to be, whether it's creation, whether it's Big Bang, whether it's thought went into us, energy went into us, and we need to absolutely respect it and treat each other better because we're all, well, most of us are deserving of it. There's some a-holes out there that we don't want to, but <laughs> like you said, we're in this big, huge thing and we're so small. It should make, it should make our, our arguments and our hatefulness small as well so that we can grow. Yeah. I, I, you know, we tend to get caught up in the day to day. It's, it's, you know, you're looking at tomorrow and putting food on the table and, and dealing with, you know, the day to day. And it's really easy to get caught up in the minutia and, yeah. and, and it's hard to step back to the big picture. You know, if, if somebody does something that feels offensive to you or feels wrong to you or threatens your children um, uh, or, or your way of life or your beliefs, you know, for your beliefs is a big thing that, that people feel threatened mm -hmm. about, then it's really hard to step back and, and, and look at that bigger picture of, of just how alike we are. And usually it takes some exterior threat. You know, you remember when 9-11 happened, you know, mm -hmm. oh my God, we were the cops. New York was, was a cesspool, you know, that's how everybody felt. And then 9-11 comes along and all of a sudden, I went to New York just before 9-11 and just after 9-11. And the difference in the tone of that city was completely different. I had people going out of their way to help me after 9-11 and people who would just look at me like, you're a weirdo stranger, I don't wanna to talk to you before that. And so sometimes it takes that thing to recalibrate our way of looking at things and give us perspective. And um, oddly enough, the pandemic sort of did the opposite. Uh, it, it made people more insular and more, you know, you know, going off into their corners. Um, I think media probably had something to do with that. But um, but sometimes it takes. Well, you know, um, and it's not that one or the other. It's just that people pick the media, and that's where all the where they got all their information from. Mm -hmm. And it tends to make people just diverge, um, mm -hmm. regardless of which side of that you're on, it's still diverging. And, and, and I think that's a problem for us as, as, a, as a nation, as a people. Absolutely. I mean, we're so divided and getting further and further away from each other. It, it's frightening. It really yes. is. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's unfortunately probably going to take some external terrible threat to, to change that. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't have to come to that. Um, but you know, it's, it's easy to hate. Hating is easy. It is really, um, I, I, again, I'm not a, 
you know, I'm not a person promoting religion, but uh, they asked Jesus, uh, what were the two most important, you know, what's the most important commandment? So I'll give you two. He says, love God more than anything. And he said, love your brother as your friend. Mm -hmm. If you just treated everybody else as if they were yourself, you know, treat your, your, you know, treat them as you would yourself, then just think how different the world would be. You, you, I mean, you, you would be understanding of people's shortcomings and foibles in a way that you're not. And so just by trying to put yourself in the other person's perspectives, which is what a writer does. That's mm -hmm. the, the most important skill that a writer has is empathy. It's the ability to put yourself in another person's situation and see the world through that other person. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we as human beings really need to be able to do is to sort of you know, walk a mile in that other person's shoes before we, we make up our mind and, and make a judgment. Right. And even, even if you're not a religious person, every, well, almost everybody, I don't know why I have to correct myself, but almost everybody learned in elementary school, the golden rule, yeah. do unto others. Absolutely. I don't know. And, and, you know, it's funny that as adults, we, we forget those things that, that we, you know, and the childhood is such a pressure cooker microcosm. You're putting a bunch of these disparate kids who've never met each other into a play yard together. And you have to teach them some of very basic rules because they're very basic human beings and just be nice to that person and treat them the way you would want to be treated is the most fundamental rule. And if we could just figure that out as, 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 a, as the world, it would change everything. If you look at a, a kid's playground, you see kids standing up for other kids. In a family, you see a big brother looking out for a little brother. So what age do we pass that we stop looking out for each other? When do we get so selfish or insulated, as you said? Is it once we're out on our own and having to take care of ourselves, maybe, that we start to really concern ourselves with ourselves? And then maybe it changes when you meet a partner or you have a child. And maybe you start, hopefully, to go to where you're looking out for people again. I don't know. Well, absolutely. And those stages of life, you know, we're all very selfish from our teenage years into our early 20s. Everybody is, you know, it's, it's, it's about selfishness. It really is. Not, not necessarily in a negative way, but it's about, you know, me and what I need and what I yeah. want. And, and that, that's where you are. And the minute you become uh, a family, it's suddenly about somebody besides yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you have to recalibrate your, your, your thinking at that point. Okay. Um, and that's that, you know, that's another one of those things. that's just a part of the biology of being a human being. Of the brain. Yeah. Because like, like you said, every animal or every living creature has varying degrees of the ability to learn and change, right. Coming up to us, you know, top of the food chain, best of the best, whatever you want to say, your dog can learn how to sit. She just sat, but your dog can learn how to sit. <laughs> Even your cat, you can somewhat train if they feel like it. Birds can learn to, to repeat words after you. You know, maybe you can train a lizard, who knows, but up to us. And until I wouldn't know what age, but you would know better than I, but until the brain stops or starts to, with age starts to deteriorate and you start to lose things, we're constantly learning. We're constantly learning and changing if it could be something as simple as, well, when I was 12, I hated liver. Now at 30, I love it. You know, I gave it another try or I used to be a homophobe. Now my best friend is a gay man. These are generalizations, people listening. This is not me or <laughs> Bill. We're just, we're saying as humans, we have this wondrous capacity to learn and change. And I think it's fantastic and create things 
I mean, birds, beavers make these beautiful dams. You write amazing, horrifying books and films. I do this and uh, it's, aren't we lucky? We are. And this is, you know, people, a lot of people talk about the good old days. The good old days suck. I'm sorry. The good Mm -hmm. old days just suck. Uh, Think about what it was like before air conditioning. You know, think of what it was like. Phone could do so many. Uh, But we are living in the best time in history. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for instance, what what you do, this is a passion of yours. And you're able to exercise that and, and, and reach across the world to other people. That's never been possible before. Never been possible before. And so that sort of self-actualizing and exploring and, and being able to connect in so many different ways and having these, these, these technological abilities, it, the world has never been this good. And it gives us so much power. And, uh, and, and you know, unfortunately, we use it to, uh, to, to slander each other a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's too much of a good thing, but I'm at the age where I went to school before the internet and I've gone to school after the internet. And if I'm going to be honest, guess which one was easier? Absolutely. (laughs) I don't know if you have kids, but my kids have a vague concept of what encyclopedias are. My one son is really into, now he's into vinyl. So, you know, but it's like, we have so many advancements. We have just in, in communications alone with this I mean, where are you? I'm, I'm in the Panhandle. I'm out in, in Pensacola, Florida. Okay. But I've talked to people in Brazil and in, in Germany and South Africa. What? I, I did a comic book series called uh, Thousand Nightmares. And every artist is from a different country. One mm-hmm. of them's from Moscow. One of them's from Kazakhstan. One of them is from uh, several of them from South America. Some are from East Asia, Canada. I, you know, when was that ever possible before? Never, I've never met any of these people, but I could tell them this is what I want. They could draw it, they could email it to me. And then I could create this, this work that you know, was, was so international. That's never been possible, never crazy. been possible. It's crazy beautiful, but it's also the potential for evil. Right? Well, you know, I tend to think that evil is their fault. Uh, you know, I write a lot about supernatural things, but I, I, I tend to think that, uh, if you look at the real evils in the world, most of them are man-made. Uh, some of them are woman-made, but most of them are actually man-made. <laughs> darn it, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, darn it. You know, that, that testosterone curse. You know, it's, um, again, it comes back to we're human beings and we are flawed. And sometimes we let our worst nature come through because that's easier. It's just easier to let those emotions boil out, you know, and cut somebody off in traffic. That's, it's just that uh, it just boils up and it feels good. But, but again, that comes back to biology. The reason that feels good is that your body dumps this adrenaline and all these, these other hormones into your, your system in order to gear you up for a threat. And those threats are not the same. You know, it wasn't life or death in the jungle anymore. It's a guy cutting you off in traffic. But those same biological you know, processes are involved in that. And uh, it can it can lead us down some some unpleasant places these days. Right now we're just fighting on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that anonymity that 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 it provides allows people to say things they would never say to another person if they were sitting in a room with them. Ooh, that's a whole that's a whole other show. That's yeah, a whole. It's a, it's a whole other life right there. Right. Well, um, 
tell people where they can get Hellfighters and More Than Evil and everything Bill Richardson? Well, uh, first of all, there's my website, which is BillRichardson.com, and it's Bill with one L. And uh, also, I've, I've got an Amazon page. It's got all of uh, my different books. There's a mid-grade reader in there. There's humor books. There's horror books. Uh, and, comic? Uh, excuse me? The comic as well? Yeah, yeah well, the, the comic is, is going to be on Amazon soon. The, the, the comic series, The Thousand Nightmares, it's on Comixology, and uh, it's 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 just a really great process there to go through that, and then also Audible. I've got uh, the audiobook is on Audible, and hopefully I'm going to have some. You know, I probably will be next September, uh, August before I release something new, but but those books will keep you busy. There there are books that are scary. There are books that are funny. Most of those things I really like to work in those those two ponds, uh, and but there's some other things coming up. And everything I do is full of, of adventure. I, I, you know, just try to keep you busy and entertained. Hellfighters has got great cosmic writing. It also has fast pace, but it also has uh, an alternate theory to string theory called E8 as a part of it. And, and so it, it will challenge you mentally. It will challenge you uh, intellectually. It will challenge you emotionally. And it will make you very afraid to go in the woods. Uh, probably both of those books will. But, but Amazon's a good place, uh, Audible is uh, a good place for the audiobook, and then checking out my website, BillRichardson.com. BillRichardson.com with one L. Can they find you on social media? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, but it's this really strange handle. It's like Bill So 10 or something like, like that. So it's, it's, it's really hard to, to give that out. But Twitter is a really good place to be able to communicate with people um as as an artist it's it's a lot better than facebook because facebook has become so many other things but i'm Absolutely. also on facebook i think it's bill richardson 733 um but i'm in all those different places and you know i, I will be happy to respond to anybody that that, that has questions or uh what. all right it's been such a pleasure to talk to you i have a feeling that we're gonna we're gonna do this again i, I hope that we do pup and i really appreciate letting me be a part of the show i thank you for what you do to bring creatives uh, that not everybody's heard of out uh, and, and give them a voice and, and let them speak to an audience. Uh, that's a tremendous thing. It's obviously a passion for you. And uh, I, I really appreciate getting to be a part of that. It's literally my favorite thing. I could tell you all of these amazing quirky films that I've seen over the past year, the books that I've read that I can say to someone, oh, did you read this? No, that sounds amazing. What is it? And then share it with people. It just, it makes me so happy. And I, I bet there are people that, you know, early on that you've interviewed that nobody had heard of, and now they're the thing. <laughs> That's really awesome. I got a couple. And well, thank you for, uh, for the platform. Thank you for having a great conversation. It's been a blast. Oh, absolutely. We'll talk again, okay? All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this creative conversation. Be sure to follow me on social media. I am Pup Duffy basically everywhere. You can follow the show on Facebook. It's Coffee, Candy, and Creatives. Head over to BeUnique.org. Like, follow, and support my beautiful humans over there. Be sure to check out my sponsor. And for your own sponsorship or interview opportunities, please email me at pup4ccc at gmail.com. If you like the music you're hearing, head on over to Raleigh Keegan and do yourself a favor and buy this album. You can download it or you can have a physical CD. You can also keep up to date on tour dates and future releases. As always, take care of each other, love each other, watch each other's back, and I'll see you next time.